Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Yes, welcome. This is Matt and welcome to Sastery in the Making. I am really excited to be joined live from England. I have Nick Haig with me. Nick, how are you? I'm good, Matt. I'm very good. The sun is shining, uh, so uh, can't argue. <laughs> sun is shining in England. Isn't that uh, kind of an oxymoron? What's the deal there? Well, it is in Manchester, that's for sure. I mean, I think uh, down <laughs> south, we, we do have these different uh, different climates, but up in Manchester, we're renowned for our rain. So, we're, But no, we're, we're here speaking in lockdown, or you know, just coming out of partial lockdown, and it's been sunny ever since. So uh, no doubt when everything gets back to normal, the rain will uh, will come back. That's awesome. Well, let me introduce you all to Nick. This is a great guy, really smart leader, really uh, uh, one of the experts out there. He's the co-founder and head of growth at B2B International. This is a global full-service market research firm that's dedicated to researching business-to-business markets. And really what they do is they help the world's best B2B brands make smarter decisions driven by insights. And and it's really neat because it kind of shows and they show how to get more business from your customers, which increases their loyalty and really repositions your brand in order to increase market share. So they're doing a lot of great things for some some of the world's best companies. He also wrote a book. He's the author of the B2B Customer Experience book, which is really known as the playbook for delivering winning customer experience. And I know that uh, they use the the short-term CX a lot. So if you follow Nick, you see CX, hashtag CX for customer experience. They're really good at that. In fact, Nick was named a top 10 customer experience influencer by Customer Experience Magazine, which is very, very cool. So Nick, thank you so much for coming on. Welcome. Thank you very much. No, it's, uh, it's good to be with you, Matt. And uh, thanks for the kind words. You're welcome. Absolutely. So tell me what you're doing at B2B International. Well, um, we're a market research uh, company, and uh, and clients come to us with a brief. You know, normally, normally that lays out a problem in in what they want to either grow or you know getting more from their customers, winning new customers in, differentiating the brand, or launching a, a new product or service proposition to the market. If you like it, it helps it position. If you think of the Ansoft matrix, uh, and we can help guide clients with you know market insights so they can either penetrate develop or, or di- diversify in their different markets but um with the current covid situation um this has really magnified uh, clients requirements for insight um not only to the current challenges and needs their customers have but also what plans they have post covid-19 so they can develop opportunities when uh, when the world does resume to some sort of normality. So, uh, you know, it's it's the same old, same old, and that uh, you know, there's lots of customer experience research being carried out, brand testing, brand tracking research, but uh, there is this different angle at the moment in in research that we're doing here uh, around the whole COVID nineteen coronavirus situation. That's fascinating, and I know that you've been doing this for quite a while now, over twenty years since you launched. Uh, kudos for for making it that long. But what major changes have you seen in that time, Nick? 
Well, uh, over that time, I suppose our clients, and it's normally, you know, it's, it's someone from our clients, so normally uh, a marketing director or, or CMO, uh, their overarching problems don't really change. Uh, you know, they're still wanting to, you know, how can we sell more? How can we diversify? How can we differentiate in our marketplace? Um, I suppose our, our, one thing that has changed is our research toolbox. Uh, this has mm. definitely evolved over time, you know. So we utilize the tried and, and tested methods like telephone interviews, um, face-to-face focus groups. Um, but obviously, you know, we, we now have a lot of digital tools to hand uh, and we can use these to, to gather market insights. So obviously, we, you know, turn to e-surveys and online groups. Um, but using technology in different ways like advert tagging with cookies so we can gain insight and A and B test uh, for ad campaign exposure. So there's, wow. there's different things that we've been able to do, um, you know, that, that has, uh, has definitely evolved over the 20 years. I think, I mean, lots has changed over the last 20 years. Uh, you know, <laughs> can't even think back, uh, you know, the internet was only just starting to uh, to come about. And in fact, we were, B2B yeah. International was uh, founded the same year as Google. But, you know, even if the world turns quickly, doesn't it? And it, over the last 12 months, for example, I've seen, changes in fact four key dichotomies that have arisen in b2b markets um the first one being like you know now we're even more data driven than than ever before you know especially Mm -hmm. big data but the problem is companies have too much data so they can't see the wood for the trees um and so they're they're needing these deep insights um and that's i suppose where we come in uh so bringing together primary secondary data to look at the story is now key more than ever um the second dichotomy of, you know, thing that's changed is people in B2B markets have, have definitely got used to the, you know, the, the way that companies like Amazon uh, treat them in their, their consumer lives. And so personalization of individual relevant messages and, and services delivered is expected. Um, but the problem there is the reverse is we all need now need to adhere to privacy regulations like GDPR in the EU or mm-hmm. CCPA in California. So that's a real problem for uh, for trying to personalize messages. I think um, the third the third change. Well, of course, budgets are uh, pressurized these days. And so, you know, the ROI wow. needs to be evidence to justify, you know, why you're going to spend what you spend on a particular marketing campaign. So we call this precision. Uh, you know, being able to make sure we can sharpen the pencil and uh, and deliver uh, on what the ROI is. But these days, it's it's ever more complex than uh, than before. With uh, you know, siloed Martech platforms that people use. So uh, you know, people are trying to to use technology, but it's not as straightforward as as possible. And I suppose the fourth mm-hmm. trend I've seen is is you know a topic close to my heart but uh, customer experience um and it, it is a hot topic uh, around most boardroom tables these days mm-hmm. um but in recent research that uh, the b2b international did we found that 52 percent of cmos still or you know insight managers still state that delivering an excellent customer experience is their biggest challenge so there's lots of talk there's lots of money being wow. spent on this uh but it's actually not delivering uh, in a lot of cases, and uh, you know, that's that's the premise of what I wrote my book on. Um, these, these, we we argue the six CX pillars uh, that companies should look to meet. Um, and you know, pe- what we're seeing is that uh, you know, in terms of performance, key, I'll go across these key criteria: whether you're committed to your CX, or you've got the seamlessness experience, whether you're responsive to customer needs. Um, 
movement in this is stagnant or even declining. People aren't evolving their CX programs uh, to stay in line with customer expectations. So that's definitely a change I've seen recently too. Yeah, I bet. Wow, that's fantastic. You gave uh, a lot of uh, great insight there. I'm sure that there's been a uh, uh, a lot of learnings over the last 20 years, last 12 months. What do you, uh, you guys have really grown and you, you went through the acquisition. What, what, uh, what do you most attribute to your success? Well, I'd say, I think it comes down to, you know, some of the basics like working hard, uh, in those early days. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, you know, there were, there was only three of us, uh, in the early days. So, you know, working wow. long hours, working weekends. I think one of them may be uh, another attribute for success is being laser focused. I mean, with our clients, especially around brand, uh, you know, you need to be laser focused on, on what your position is in the marketplace and, and how you're differentiated. And, uh, you know, our name says it all. We're B2B. We, you know, we cover B2B markets. Uh, we, we speak to businesses uh, and always on an international basis in the main, you know, so that's why global corporates come to us. And I think that's definitely helped us uh, to, to, you know, cut through the noise and, uh, and see us as a, a specialist in this marketplace. And I suppose maybe the third attribute, I'd put it down to uh, a bit of luck along the way. You know, <laughs> you, uh, you do need luck in business. And, and I know you make your own luck with hard work, but uh, I do I believe that. that that needs to be a, a bit of luck along the way too. Yeah, I'm sure you made your own luck, Nick. I know you're working hard out there. So tell me, what do you love most about working with your clients? I know you have some pretty high-profile clients, but what do you love most about it? The one thing I do love is uh, I love the fact that they come to us with a problem, um, uh, you know, research brief, uh, and therefore we, we're designing a program to, to answer and, and deliver them a solution. So I like it that we're in it together. In other words, they come to us, we go out, we gather their data, we deliver back insight, um, and then... We help them change and, and succeed. And I do get a real buzz out of, you know, the work that we do actually delivering, making a difference uh, to, uh, you know, to the world uh, in terms of how companies do things differently to uh, to, to please their customers. Um, mm -hmm. I must say I'm also very lucky in that, you know, every day is different. Um, I'm a geologist uh professionally but uh, oh, I wow. focus on market research and, uh, and I think, you know, every day is different, every different clients and different industry verticals, different parts of the world. So it means, you know, before travel restrictions came in that, uh, you know, you uh -huh. got to see the world as well. So it means we as a, as a, a company, we as individuals within the company are always learning. Um, but I think maybe the one thing I love the most is that, you know, when you're working closely with in that partnership basis, then you make good friends. And I don't see, you know, my clients as, uh, as anything but, uh, you know, friends. So it's that client's supply relationship. It certainly uh, makes it special. I totally agree. I see my clients as friends as well. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's really warming to feel their success. You, you feel it with them and yeah. it's like they're friends and you just want to go, uh, uh, as you guys would say, put back a pint and, uh, <laughs> celebrate together. So I totally agree. Well, I can't wait for those pub doors to be open so we can do it. <laughs> Exactly. Maybe I'll come up there and visit you and we can have one too. <laughs> uh, I know that a lot of companies and, and, and leaders are talking about marketing and sales. What are they going to do here? But do you feel like the customer experience gets deprioritized? I suppose the answer is, is sometimes. I mean, B2B companies have definitely woken up to the fact that they need to be more customer centric in order to you know, keep hold of customers, make them more loyal. Um, 
But however, when times do get tough, like in this this current environment, then you know things like customer experience can get deprioritized. Uh, and I've seen that with certain clients where they've put their CX tracker research on stop in the last two months to oh, wow. either save money or, or they thought maybe it wasn't relevant to be asking them some you know questions around this while they might be trying to survive. But I must say that you know I, I think. It, they're wrong if they have put it on on hold. And I think it's the complete opposite. We, we have seen it, you know, so we've had clients that have continued to invest in their customer feedback um, during this last two months. And they've really benefited because they've kept their finger on the pulse of customer needs. It's allowed them to be agile uh, in meeting changing customer needs. And they've been able, therefore, to, to turn their hand to offer different services and and of course it's uh, you know it's putting goodwill into the bank so it's engendering loyalty uh, so I, I do think you know they uh, they will be winners in the long run so i suppose the uh, the moral of the story is if you de- do deprioritize your your cx research program do it at your own peril mm. yeah absolutely i i would agree in fact you know as a sales leader for most of my career i think about how can we get more sales? How, what can we do? How can we do this? And mm. one of the things that, that I've, I've always considered is we need to make sure that our customers are selling for us. You know, I, I, I love yeah. these stories. Um, so what types of success stories have you seen on, uh, from the sales side for organizations who've created these great customer experiences? And because of that, that led to sales success. Yeah, well, I suppose the obvious success that our, our invested clients that, uh, you know, do invest in their CX programs has achieved is aligned with, you know, Fred Reichold's original MPS research theory, you know, so back in the days, 2006, mm-hmm. um, where he stated that if you get more promoters in your customer base, then you, then your customers will stay loyal. But only, not only that, you know, they'll come back, spend more and, and be advocates of your brand in the market. So you'll gain more new customers. Exactly. Um, to the point you were making there. but So we've got lots of examples of clients who have invested in CX and really use this as a differentiator in their market because what we do know is, and, and again, this is from research that we've uh, recently carried out, some thought leadership research on uh, customer experience, is that in B2B markets, only 15% of corporate brands that we, uh, we surveyed uh, actually see themselves as CX leaders. You know, the rest are still struggling with uh, being able to deliver that excellent customer experience. And I think, you know, in terms of success stories, well, our clients cover all industry sectors from software and, and tech to more smokestack manufacturing industries. So we see a, we do see a real disparity between industry sector NPS scores by one client to uh, to the other. But one client that does spring to mind where uh, where we, we've you know we've seen massive differences is uh, a client that works in the logistics sector, and mm-hmm. we've worked with them for over five years now. Um, when we took uh, their program up, they had awful customer loyalty scores, like double digit negatives. Oh, awful! Um, and I think we we mapped the journey that customers took. So you know, we we went back to the start. We tried to to get bring the teams together, map the journey to understand where changes needed to be made. Um, you know, on the back of research, found out what the relevant KPIs were to to monitor and track, and then worked with them. And, and behind the scenes, of course, you know, we, we can we can direct them and, and give recommendations, but they've got to do some work too. And so behind the scenes, uh, they changed the way they did things. Um, but with the customer in mind, this 
this time rather than this siloed way uh, that they'd done before. And and lo and behold, you know, they now have a positive NPS and they're delivering profits of, uh, of which, you know, the C-suite are, are very happy there. But I think the key right. point is for any of these success or customer experience success, success stories um, is that it doesn't happen overnight. You know, that took five years. It needs investment from the top down to make it successful. And, and that investment also is, is time investment. And I think, you know, you need to have a look at, you can make some quick wins in the first year um, and, you know, two years. But after three years, that's when you start to, to really need to make the big changes that will affect the bottom line. Makes a ton of sense. Absolutely. And uh, I love hearing those, those success stories. So uh, I want to know your, your expertise is primarily on the customer experience side, Nick. I focus on sales. You know, within a strong growing organization, how do you see customer care and, and the support side working together with sales in an ideal scenario? Mm. It's a, it's an interesting situation, isn't it? The sales versus CX relationship. Um, and the problem we often see is that we, we work for large corporate businesses and they're often floated on the stock exchange. Um, and therefore they're driven by the short term focus to deliver bottom line profits for shareholders. So mm-hmm. there's this conflict at play. Uh, and if things are tight, then the mantra is, you know, sell, 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 and no matter what cost. Um, but I think the biggest problem we see, and and I suppose it comes back is to, to that point I just made about uh, the case study is companies are set up to deliver profits and therefore be as efficient as possible and not often with the customer in mind. So you have all these different departments in these large corporates, such as procurement, operations, technical mm-hmm. supply chain, and, you know, of course, sales as well within there. And these are often siloed and not communicating with one another. Um, mm. So therefore, often with good intentions, salespeople will promise the earth to customers just to get the sale. Uh, <laughs> we don't not, ever do that. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, no I'm never. But, uh, <laughs> but not, uh, you know, m- maybe not checking back in with production that uh, the, the product's mm. in stock or can it be delivered on the stated date? Um, and this all starts, you know, to, to tee up an impact on the customer experience when things don't go as planned. So I think the ideal scenario, I'd say, is 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 to carry out this customer journey mapping workshop that we often do at the very front end of, a, of any program, um, bringing together different parts of the business from each department so they can understand how each interacts with one another. And, and from that will come empathy of, of the customer, the journey that the customer's taken, also a change in process and, uh, you know, hopefully mindset to deliver this more joined up experience. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I really uh, agree with you there for sure, because I think it should be uh, working together to create that joined up experience. Um, but, you know, a lot of our, uh, audience for this show are founders of, of early stage and growth stage companies. You work with a lot of bigger companies. What have you seen in those companies that maybe, uh, you know, correlate, uh, how they got there and what types of methodologies they use, maybe what types of philosophies? What tips would you give to founders themselves who are, are looking to scale and get to that point? What would you say? Well, I suppose I can only talk from experience um, and, you know, from, from, from being a startup, 
um, you know, nearly 22 years ago to uh, to now having a global business that's that's integrated uh, with the the Dentsu uh, business, and you know we, we're specialists within our our B two B division uh, alongside brands like Merkel, Gyro, DWA. So uh, you know we, we've taken this this journey from from an embryo stage uh, to to being part of more of a, a corporate business and. From our experience, at least, um, the tips that has helped us is taking our time um, or, you know, that has been the secret for for our success. Um, and I think the reason I say take your time is because the, the key to our growth and delivering, uh, you know, we, we live and breathe uh, to, to deliver a good customer experience, of course, is the key to our growth was creating this bomb proof culture. Um so, you know, over 21 years ago, when uh, we started here in Manchester, England, uh, there was just three people, uh, one office. Um, and over time, it's it's been an organic build of the business. So it's taken time. But when we opened in Beige, our Beijing office, it was someone from the team in Manchester that went over there and headed the Be- Beijing operations, uh, knew our values, how we worked. Um, but also we, we worked alongside someone that was from that particular country because we knew, you know, we needed to understand their culture as well. And, and this was the same blueprint that happened when we went to Singapore and opened our office there, New York, Dusseldorf, wherever in the world we've opened an office, we've, we've done it the same. And this has meant that the culture has stayed strong. You know, people understand who we are, what we're trying to do. Uh, and I, I do love the saying, you know, if, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And go oh, together and go, go slower. You know, so it, it typifies B2B international's journey anyway. And uh, it's something that some str- companies struggle with uh, when they try to grow too quickly, and, and especially through acquisition. And, you know, we see that with venture capitalists and everything else as well. So, you know, it can work, but it's just making sure if you do grow quickly through acquisition, um, then it's it's all about making sure that that culture stays strong. Yeah, I think that's that's so important. I, I've read a, a lot of Jack Welch, and he said that a lot when they're doing the acquisition. they got to make sure the culture continues to stay where where it needs to be this has been a wonderful experience for me nick learning from from your insights and your wisdom so i really appreciate you coming on but how should our audience learn more from you or or from b2b international what ways would they be able to to get that well i suppose the usual ways um you can visit the the company website so that's uh, b2b uh, letter b number two letter b international.com um or reach out to me uh, individually you can search me on linkedin uh it'd be you know forward slash nick haig uh, or on twitter um at nick underscore haig b2b so uh, any which way yeah and uh, you know i'd be uh, happy to uh, to answer any questions on the fly there too excellent well, this, is, uh, this has been a great experience for me. So I really appreciate you coming on, Nick. Much appreciated, Matt. Enjoyed the conversation. My pleasure. So once again, this has been Nick Haig from B2B International. And I really appreciate you listening. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to Sastery in the Making. Join us next episode for another look into how today's visionaries are creating the next generation of innovation.